November 11th was Pedestrian Day in Korea, which is meant to create a convenient, safe, and enjoyable pedestrian environment. And so uh, the Seoul Metropolitan Government launched this ongoing project known as Walkable City Seoul. Uh, This was launched back in 2015 with the goal of improving the quality of life for citizens as well as visiting tourists. And some of these results, uh, we are seeing many more public uh, bicycles on the streets. Uh, uh, We've seen historical sites be regenerated and made more walkable. So we're going to hear more about the efforts uh, going on in terms of creating a pedestrian-friendly environment. And we're very pleased to be joined by an expert in regards to this. Jeff Speck is the American city planner and author of the best-selling book, Walkable City, which has been translated into many languages, including Korean. Joining us on the line right now. Hello. Hey, uh, nice to speak with you. And I'm so excited that that your government named its day after my book. Well, (laughs) well, obviously, that was uh, part of the consideration here. Uh, As I mentioned, the book is translated in Korean. So we encourage all our listeners to uh, definitely pick up a a copy. But if you could perhaps uh, give us a bit of a cliff notes, cliff notes version of the book and, and, and just basically what you are trying to convey to your readers. Well, you know, I'm a city planner, and I was trained as an architect, and I just like great cities. Uh, and and it, it just struck me over time, over about 20 years of working on city plans for new places and for making existing places better, that the, the best way to measure a city's uh, success was if it was walkable or not. And the best way to make a city successful was to make it more walkable. So as I, I dug more into that concept, I learned... Uh, a lot of things from other disciplines, you know, from the from the epidemiologists about health and from the environmentalists about the environment and, of course, from economists about what makes cities thrive, that all points in the same direction about why our cities need to be more walkable. And then, of course, focusing on the design decisions that cities can make to achieve that. So uh, I live in Seoul right now, which is pretty walkable, but I, I spent most of my life in California, Southern California, which, as you know very well, uh, the concept of being walkable wasn't really on our minds because you either had to have a car or you just simply couldn't get from point A to point B. Uh, on the WalkScore website, New York City is considered to be um, the most walkable. Uh, what would you say is unique about New York City as opposed to, let's say, Los Angeles that, that makes it such a very walkable city? Well, of course, older cities were initially designed around walking, um, and so their their bones are better, right, mm-hmm. than, than something like L.A., that, that so much of it was designed around the car. I think a remarkable fact about New York City is that more than half of the subway stops in America are in New York City. So mm-hmm. it's got more subway stops than all the other cities put together. Wow. Um, <clears throat> when you have great transit, of course, you connect neighborhoods together, uh, you free people from the burden of having to drive, and once you cross that threshold, then... Um, you can design your city not around the, the, the needs of the automobile, which are very hard to satisfy, but around all the other needs of walking, biking, and, and transit. Now, people might say, okay, well, it's great to have a walkable city. That, that seems like it would be more convenient, especially if you don't have a car. But you actually talk about more b- kind of bigger picture benefits, right? You suggest that making a city more walkable could have uh, these cascading effects that actually uh, make the conditions conducive for a uh, city to thrive overall. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, there are, of course, a lot of health benefits and environmental mm-hmm. uh, and mental benefits. Uh, but I'll just give one example. You know, I used to have a car when I lived in Washington, D.C., 
and I sold the car. Um, and when I had the car, if I needed a new light bulb or some, you know, plumbing supplies or something, I would get in my car and I'd drive to Home Depot, which is a chain, right? And I'd yeah. spend my money in the chain. I'd spend money on my, using my car, which leaves the economy. I'd spend money on gasoline, which leaves the economy. And I'd spend money on a chain store. Hmm. Um, once I got rid of my car, if I needed uh, something, I'd go to Logan Logan Hardware, which was you know next to the Whole Foods on 14th Street in the U Street neighborhood of D.C. Mm-hmm. I'd spend my money locally. I'd benefit a local merchant. That merchant pay, pays local taxes. Um, you, you're just able to reorient your life so much more locally without the car. And <clears throat> the best thing you can do economically to make your city thrive is to find ways to capture money within the community as opposed to sending it uh, out of the city or even overseas to, to uh, you know, the Middle East or, or elsewhere. Yeah, and that totally makes sense. Uh, one of the kind of model cities you suggest in the book is uh, Portland, Oregon, especially with Portland's low driving mileage. If you kind of benchmark po- Portland, look at their strategies, I guess the question for a lot of us here in Seoul is, do you believe those strategies are scalable? So Portland uh, is is a relatively big city, but it's it's tiny compared to a city like Seoul. It no, would, Seoul. Yeah. It, yeah. Would, it, would it be something that could be applied to a big city like Seoul? Absolutely. And, you know, <clears throat> the, the, the three things that Portland did, um, really starting, I guess, in the 80s, that over 20 years changed them dramatically and caused people in Portland. Imagine this, a city where in 2010, people drove 20% less than they had uh, 20 years before, which happened in no other city uh, around the U.S. Um, they invested in bike infrastructure. They invested about $60 million, which isn't a ton because they spent only about $2 million a year um, in bike infrastructure. Mm. They, stopped investing, they stopped investing in highways. And the one highway investment they made, by the way, was to fix a cloverleaf uh, that cost twice as much as all their bike infrastructure. So, but aside from that, they, they cut back highway spending. And then they also did something that very few cities have done, which is they instituted an urban growth boundary because they were sprawling out into the suburbs and just sprawling endlessly into this auto-oriented um, mm. collection of subdivisions. And they said, you know what, we might, we might need that land later, but actually you're not allowed to build out there until we fill up what's close in and we serve it with, serve it with transit, which they also invested mm. in. So I should say four things, right? Bike investment, transit investment, no highway investment, and then this urban growth boundary, which, which caused uh, all the growth to happen locally. Um, and that, that resulted in an economy in which they're uh, driving considerably less than they were before and less than most American cities. Now, Seoul has um, their own various uh, policies, uh, w- w- which they're trying to facilitate to make the city more walkable. One that's been perhaps getting some resistance is this idea that they they have these drive-free zones. So uh, certain very kind of congested areas, uh, including a very popular place in downtown Seoul and very popular university area, they have now been uh, restricted from cars to be able to pass through there in order to give pedestrians a more safer walking environment. As you can imagine, um, car owners uh, feel that this is a very big disruption to their commutes and and, uh, adding to traffic time and what have you. Uh, Do you think there are more comprehensive and systemic plans that could be more effective than that? Uh, comprehensive and systemic is always better. Uh, it's funny that one of the the biggest um, moves against the business as usual that we talk about all the time was the Chang'e Chen, if I'm pronouncing that right, the Chang'e Chen Freeway, which came down in Seoul. Mm-hmm. Uh, dramatic change. Um, you know, it was 16 lanes and 168,000 cars per day, and you guys took it down. And 
uh, with, with good results. And I understand that the property that surrounds that highway, that former highway, is now worth four times what it was um, right. at that time when it, when it had cars on it. But if you look to places like Barcelona, where they're taking those nine square grids um, uh, and creating these super blocks with the internal streets, you know, uh, uh, the, the two, like a tic-tac-toe board, are closed to all but local traffic. Um, that's been systemic throughout uh, large neighborhoods of Barcelona. Um, I, I think that it's important to understand who your car commuters are and who the rest of your commuters are. Um, in, in most societies, and I can't speak to Seoul, but certainly in our societies, in, in Europe, in Central America, Latin America, um, uh, the drivers trend richer and the transit riders, bikers, and walkers trend poorer. Mm. Um, the situation we've had politically in most countries around the world is that people who are in charge tend to be richer and people who are subject to the outcomes tend to be poorer. And so we have this concept of elite projection, right, where the elite do what they think is best for everyone, but actually it's best for them and the people they know. <laughs> and yeah. in, our experience, in our experience, anything you do to invest in, in cycling, in transit, and in walking is benefiting more people and is trending less wealthy than investments you make in driving. I, I don't doubt that... that um, you know, limiting driving access and closing streets and that sort of thing creates inconvenience for people and, and a little bit of, uh, uh, of pain. Um, but I think if people think with a, an eye to the bigger picture and benefiting the society as a whole, you know, mo- mobility is wealth. And the goal is to move as many people as efficiently as you right. can. And if, if, if that's the goal, then you have to look at the ways in which they take up the least space because real estate has great value in cities and the ways in which you can move the most people uh, with the least energy. Um, and, you know, in all those categories, you're much better off on a bus than a car or in a train than a bus. Um, and, of course, walking and biking is, is, is the dream because it also has health benefits right. that lower the health care costs of the entire society. So there's really great, uh, great reason if you look socially at the broadest scale mm. to make those invest- investments. Well, that's great advice, and uh, we encourage our listeners, once again, uh, it is available in Korean, Walkable City, American City planner and author of the best-selling book, Walkable City, Jeff Speck. Thank you once again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and and, uh, good luck. Thank you.